There is a battle going on today for the heart and soul of America, and the right side must win. It's time for America Can We Talk with Debbie George Addis. On America Can We Talk, we talk truth about America and why it matters to you. America Can We Talk starts now. And good evening and welcome. I'm Debbie George Addis. Welcome to my show and to tonight's First Five. There was an editorial, actually not an editorial, an opinion column that ran in the Washington Post this past Friday, and it had to do with the Pledge of Allegiance. This is a great topic to tie into the purpose of my show, America Can We Talk, which is just always dedicated to a better understanding of the unique greatness and exceptional nature of America. I also want to thank our sponsor at the start of the show tonight. Our sponsor for America Can We Talk is GC Works, which is a Dallas-based company that performs research in advanced technology and delivers innovative approaches to the oil and gas industry. Could not do this show without them. Okay, here's the editorial from the Washington Post and why it matters so much. This is a professor, a college professor uh, named... um, Christopher Petrella, he teaches American Cultural Studies at Bates College. The title of his editorial, that even though you can't attribute this to the Washington Post, they they decided to run it. The title of the editorial is The Ugly History of the Pledge of Allegiance and Why It Matters. And folks, this is just something is just so important to understand the deeper problem being created by what this guy is trying to do. The short story is there were there was a case, I actually think it was in Texas, in which a high school student was suspended, I think, for refusing to stand for the Pledge of Allegiance at her school, a 17-year-old high school student. And, you know, to be clear... I'm telling you as a lawyer by background, yes, it is true that you have a constitutional right, even students, to not stand for the Pledge of Allegiance, to not recite it if you don't care to. This is not about whether she had the constitutional right to do that. What this professor's attack is about on in his Washington Post article is the the existence of and the meaning of the Pledge of, of Allegiance to America and the Pledge of Allegiance to the flag, and it's also, even deeper than that, what, it, what Americanism, Americanism is. What this professor is essentially saying is that it is a, a Americanism, and as the words reflected in the Pledge of Allegiance indicate, or he says what they mean is that he, he says uh, racial minorities, this young girl, other people, they're being asked to recite a pledge that has, in his terms, nativist, has a political origins in nativism and white nationalism, and it has, uh, and that we need to that we need to talk about this because of the struggle for racial justice and full citizenship. He goes on and on in this editorial. Well, the quick history to what his point is, is that the person who happened to write the Pledge of Allegiance to the American flag, this is the end of the 19th century, 1891, a guy named Francis Bellamy, who'd been a former Baptist pastor in Boston. He wrote the words of Pledge of Allegiance and talked about the idea that he wanted the pledge to reflect Americanism, to embrace the idea of Americanism. And at that time, as point as point in the editorial, there was a lot of discussion in America about whether certain groups emigrating to America from various places around the world, that could they really embrace America? Were they bringing something inferior to our thought? And, and should they be rejected as citizens? And the article goes through, of course, points out the various times in American history where immigration policy did include things like Chinese Exclusion Act, the Immigration Act of 1891. 
the point of, the, of this professor is he's not defending this young girl's constitutional right to not say the pledge. What he's saying is the very pledge itself, and even more importantly, the country to which he, the individuals are pledging their allegiance, America, is a deeply flawed, racist, bad place. And this, he's trying to make the point that the America embraced in the uh, pledge, the, the pledge itself should be rejected because the person who wrote the pledge entertained thoughts that were less than perfect and uh, about other people, about people coming to America. And why I say this is so, so important to talk about tonight is this. Donald Trump's election to presidency, to the presidency, caused a stir in the intellectual movement in this country, and in in especially the leftists. It caused a stir in our society, in our country, because it was a call to reassert, to re-embrace the exceptional, great, unique nature of America. Not that America is perfect, not that every single act in American history was perfect, not that we ha- don't have flaws, but that the idea of America, the cons- which America is itself, it is an idea, is unlike any other country on earth. You can, you can move to Italy and become an Italian citizen. You cannot become Italian. Because it's an ethnicity. America does not have that. America, anyone can come here and become an American citizen. The question is, what do we as Americans insist that citizenship and um, the American identity mean? And this professor is essentially trying to reject the notion of America having a unique cultural identity and saying basically it's uh, anyone who tries to assert a culture of, of America, who tries to have any kind of definition of America, he's knocking it as intolerant that Everybody gets to come here, and all ideas are the same. And I want to tell you what the idea of America is that I think we all should be pledging allegiance to. We are pledging allegiance to the founding ideas of America, the culture of liberty, the idea we have God-given rights in this country that the government exists to protect, that our God-given rights are ours simply because we were born, that we have a culture of liberty that rejects government control of our lives, that embraces the idea that we have a right to worship freely. It's a culture of liberty that is America. And that, my friends, we must insist everyone coming here assimilate to or they can't come. This is Debbie George Jazz, America Can We Talk. Come right back. Attention Ronald Reagan fans. What is the one item most sought after by Americans who love the Gipper? It's Young America's Foundation's Reagan Ranch Calendar. Young America's Foundation is the leading youth outreach organization dedicated to ensuring that increasing numbers of young Americans understand and are inspired by the ideas of individual freedom, a strong national defense, free enterprise, and traditional values. New audiences of young people across the country are introduced to conservative ideas through Young America's Foundation's programs, including the Reagan Ranch Program. The Reagan Ranch calendar contains spectacular images of the Gipper enjoying his beautiful 688-acre ranch, the Western White House. For a limited time, the calendar is free. Even shipping is free. To receive your beautiful Reagan Ranch calendar from Young America's Foundation, call 800-USA-1776 and mention the phrase Reagan Gift. Again, the number is 1-800-USA-1776 and Reagan Gift is the code. Learn more about Young America's Foundation at www.yaf.org. That's yaf.org. America guarantees each eligible adult citizen the right to vote. The Public Interest Legal Foundation, a 501c3 public interest law firm, is dedicated entirely to election integrity, to assuring that voter rolls include names of only citizens eligible to vote, and that protections are in place to prevent voter fraud of all kinds. 
the Public Interest Legal Foundation discovered that more than 1,000 non-citizens enrolled to vote in Virginia in just eight counties. And in Philadelphia, felons as well as non-citizens are on the voter rolls. Non-citizens have been registering to vote and voting. The Public Interest Legal Foundation is fighting nationwide and in Texas to ensure that only Americans pick American leaders. We are actively litigating high-impact cases to clean up voter rolls and protect the ballot box. If you do not want your vote canceled out, visit publicinterestlegal.org to join us in the fight to restore integrity to American elections. Protect your vote. Visit publicinterestlegal.org today. Do you know that one in nearly five United States residents lives in an immigrant household? That we take in more than one million new legal immigrants every year? Studying the impact of federal immigration program is the mission of the Center for Immigration Studies, the nation's only think tank looking at the broad national effect of immigration policy. Whether it's on crime, welfare, national security, or the job market, CIS digs out information about immigration from government sources, translates it into English, and makes it available to the public, the news media, and policymakers in Washington. Check out its work at CIS.org. CIS makes the case for better enforcement against illegal immigration and lower levels of legal immigration in the future. Most other special interest groups pursue the opposite. The only thing standing between them and open borders is an informed public. Get informed and stay informed by visiting CIS.org. That's CIS.org. Let me tell you about the group Vice President Mike Pence called the most effective grassroots pro-life organization in America. It's the Susan B. Anthony List, and they're the ones who are on Capitol Hill right now, day in, day out, to fight back against Planned Parenthood and the abortion industry. Every day in our nation, abortion takes more than 2,000 innocent lives, almost two every single minute of every single day. And Planned Parenthood is the largest abortion business in the country, committing one-third of all abortions. It's an unspeakable tragedy and a stain upon our nation and our humanity. And it's up to us to do something about it. This is your opportunity to join the team that's leading the charge to end abortion. Go to sba-list.org or Google Susan B. Anthony List now to learn more and start saving lives today. Can you hear us now? And welcome back to America Can We Talk. I want to go back to the uh, topic of my first five tonight. It was about this Washington Post editorial in which the uh, liberal professor was writing about the Pledge of Allegiance having been written, having been written by someone who was, uh, you know, had apparently some racist thoughts about what kind of people could be uh, or should be eligible to become American citizens. I am not refuting that what he's claiming is historical. I don't know if it's true, but I am not challenging that that the person who wrote the pledge may have had those thoughts and said those things. But why this is so important is America is the most important, unique, exceptional country on earth. It is committed to the most profoundly important rights on earth. The idea of America is very simply, I mean, it's got a lot of complexity and depth to it, but one simple way to say it is the idea of America is the notion that we each have individual liberty and rights from God, and the government exists to protect our rights, to, to let us live freely. And that is a completely colorblind idea. 
this liberal professor who's attacking the pledge is marinating in the racially conscious, you know, every analysis of every issue must be all around race and it must pit groups against each other. This is the basis of his thinking. And so and he's attacking the idea of America. And what I really want to urge all of you as conservatives, as just patriots, people who love America, to recognize that the attack on the notion of the Pledge of Allegiance is, you know, it's grounded on these historical facts and we're not disputing, but it really is a an attack on the idea that we can have a country based on ideas. I mean, look at the words of the pledge. The words of the pledge don't have race, don't have ethnicity in it. We're pledging allegiance to the flag, to the republic, which it stands, one nation under God, indivisible, liberty and justice for all. These are fabulous words. And we can all strive to live up to them better and better and to have more perfect justice and a better system and more uh, broader protections of liberties. And, and we can always work to, to improve it. But the whole notion of interjecting race into the discussion of the Pledge of Allegiance is a divisive and intentionally divisive way to divide and harm America. The idea of America, the reason I do this show is to defend the idea of America it's it's the most important aspect of American history is that we were founded as an idea. And much of his column talks about immigration, refugees, who comes here. It is the right of the American people to insist that people coming to this country assimilate to our idea of the culture of liberty. It's our right to say, if you want to come here to be a citizen... You must embrace our ideas. You don't have to become religious. You don't have to believe in God. But you have to understand our country's founded on the idea of rights of each individual from God. You don't have to embrace our particular habits or foods or culture. But you have to understand that the idea of liberty is woven into this country. It's not just liberty. It's ideas like the rule of law. We must in America understand Our American greatness came in part because of the rule of law. So we have the right to say absolutely no Sharia, caliphate, or jihad ever, ever in America. We have the right to say that. We set America. We have the right to say we reject communism and socialism. We are a country based on individual liberty. So we can't have socialism here, and we can't have communism here, and we're saying no to it. We're saying no to the idea of a growth of an all-power federal government powerful federal government. It's why we had the Revolutionary War to overthrow a ruling class in, in, in the form at that time of King George and the English monarchy. But in, today in America, we are, we are rejecting still today is, is part of the culture of America to reject an all-powerful federal government. We are insisting on the right of private property ownership, integral to America, to freedom, to liberty, to be able to live freely. And so we're rejecting ideas that say the government can control your property to the point it's useless to you. We are a country that is not at all based on race. And understand when leftists like this professor attacking the pledge, what he's really trying to do is break America into hyphenated groups, race-based groups, and then forever and for all time pit them against each other. 
There is no way to unity. There is no way to harmony. There's no way to living together in peace if we decide as a country that we're just made up of a series of hyphenated groups versus the culture of liberty that springs out of our founding. That is the American identity. That is the American race. That is who we are as Americans. And this is part of this big debate that got started under when President um, Trump came along and reasserting the idea of America. People on the left tried to call it xenophobic and racist and all the other phobic words they come up with. Because the idea of liberty and letting people live in freedom is antithetical to leftism. It's antithetical to what left-wing America wants, which is more and more control over the American people by the federal government. And the idea of America as a conglomeration of hyphenated groups that all are endlessly fighting each other, this is beneath the identity of America. It's beneath us. We're, we're better than that. And, you know, today, um, I happened to say in Fox this morning, Professor Carol Swain was on, and she's a former Vanderbilt professor. And she was on the, uh, talking about this very thing, this Washington Post editorial attacking the Pledge of Allegiance as a racist, nationalistic, nativistic, horrible thing. She was on pointing out that destruction of the, uh, the, the symbols of America, the things that bring us unity, like the Pledge of Allegiance, like the flag, like the national anthem, these are part and parcel of destruction the cult, destroying the culture of freedom, the culture of America. She was pointing out how this is when the communist, you know, uh, the, the Naked Communist book got published and the actual list of things communists identified as things we must do in America in order to destroy the culture of liberty in America. It was things like destroy the pledge, destroy the symbols of history. We see symbols of our history being torn down, the, you know, the statues of people of the Confederate War era. And we just see a, t- a constant attack on America. This is the way to destroy this country. And it's just, it's vital as patriots who love this country to see this attack for the bigger thing than just the particular argument about one girl deciding she doesn't want to stand up and say the Pledge of Allegiance. Fine, she doesn't have to. But we have to, as Americans, insist that our identity and our future, our strength as a country can only come if we insist on being and claiming the unity that naturally springs out of the identity of America. And, you know, for the same reason you, no one listening, you couldn't go to Cuba, Venezuela, China, or any other socialist or communist country and say, you know, now that I'm here, I demand to, um, you know, I I want free markets. I want to earn as much money as I can. I want to keep my own money. I want to live freely as I choose. I don't want to follow your laws. No one could do that if they went to Cuba or Venezuela or China, because those countries say, no, we, we have a culture of socialism or communism. We control you and you don't get to tell us what our country is. We need to have that same feeling, that same protection of the idea of America that says we in America love the identity of our of our culture of liberty. We love the identity of a country created out of the human yearning for freedom and liberty. We have just as much right as Americans to say that we insist on this and to say, if you want to come here and become a citizen, you assimilate to our idea of liberty. And also picture this, folks. Suppose we had, you know, 10 million communists, hardcore communists, moved to America at one time, gave them all citizenship, let them all start voting. What do you think would happen to our country? We have the right in America to insist that our, our history, our culture of liberty and freedom and free markets 
are part of what we insist that people assimilate to. Assimilating to America is not like assimilating to any other country. You have to embrace our ideas. And we have the right to say in America, for example, when President Trump is saying we're not going to bring people to America who may mean us harm. We have the right to say that. We have the right to say we insist on people who want to come here and love America and assimilate and become part of our culture. America is unique, and the pledge is worded in a non-racist way. And even though I don't think there's going to be a movement to end the Pledge of Allegiance tomorrow, it's part of that chipping away at the culture and fabric of America that has been ongoing ongoing over the last decades especially. And I really urge you to uh, to rethink the importance of what the Pledge of Allegiance means. It means we're agreeing we all have an identity as Americans. Not, in my case, Norwegian Americans, or my husband, Greek Americans, or African Americans, or Asian Americans. We're simply Americans. What binds us are the most beautiful, important, profound concepts on this earth as, a, as founding concepts for a country. And we have to insist that we're going to hold on to those. We're going to reject uh, as as pe- reject when we have broad numbers of, immigra- of immigrants wanting to come here. We, we reject that you have the right to come here and become a citizen, but reject our ideas. That's it's not okay. We have to insist our ideas matter. They shape the culture of liberty in America. Okay, I was going to in this segment actually talk with you about the. Um, about the uh, New York City attack, but I'm going to have to save that to the second hour because I have a lot of scoop on that. But we're going to turn. We have a guest joining us um, in the next segment, Kathy Kirsten, um, who is in Minnesota and wrote a fabulous and controversial editorial about what happens when race consciousness take over your schools. Don't go away. Our nation faces a choice. The path of big government based out of Washington or the unique brand of liberty and prosperity enjoyed here in Texas. For 27 years, the Texas Public Policy Foundation has helped leaders in the Lone Star State prove that fiscal restraint and small government can deliver opportunity and prosperity for all. The Texas Public Policy Foundation promotes and defends solutions here and around the country based on liberty, free enterprise, and personal responsibility. Whether informing the national debate on property rights energy, taxes, education, or criminal justice, the foundation works to translate ideas into real change. The Texas Public Policy Foundation does not accept government funds or contributions to influence the outcome of its research. It is supported by thousands of people like you who are concerned about the future of our country. You can help Texas remain strong as the beacon of liberty in America. Visit TexasPolicy.com to learn more. If you want to get at the issues that really matter for women and men, go to IWF.org. That's the Independent Women's Forum. IWF is all about increasing the number of American women who value free markets and personal liberty. IWF's motto is all issues are women's issues. They bring a fact-based approach to politics, policy, and culture. When the left tried to peddle a phony war on women, IWF shot back with facts and figures. American women aren't victims in need of ever-increasing government protection. And IWF doesn't think things are perfect, but they believe that individual liberty is the key to prosperity and fulfillment. Along with their sister organization, Independent Women's Voice, IWVoice.org, which is a leader in the fight against Obamacare, they offer policy papers, op-eds, and a popular blog on issues of the day. So visit IWF at IWF.org. 
That's IWF.org. If there's one thing the conservative movement needs, it's a leader. And we have one, the Heritage Foundation. Hi, I'm Debbie Georgiatis. Heritage gets in the trenches on Capitol Hill. They promote principled solutions directly to lawmakers in Washington. And unlike politicians, they don't waver or compromise. But they're not a Washington institution. There are nearly a half million Heritage members and supporters in America. And they're on a mission to grow that number and build the conservative base. You can become a Heritage member by going to joinheritage.org today. I've been a member of Heritage myself for years. I have Heritage experts on my show, and I rely on their analysis to get the facts out. As a member, you'll get updates from Heritage Foundation on the fight for conservative solutions to America's challenges. Plus, you'll receive exclusive invitations to conservative events where you live. So join the growing movement. Find out more at joinheritage.org. That's joinheritage.org. There's a lot of talk today among media, in academia, in our culture, about everything that is supposedly wrong with America. Political correctness tries to dictate that we must stop thinking that America is exceptional. America's bravest have our back in the air, at sea, and on land. But who has America's back in the culture? In schools, on cable television, in newspapers, it's time to end the greatest prejudice on earth, anti-Americanism. And who makes the case for America? Flag does. Flag is the foundation for liberty and American greatness. Flag has America's back on the cultural battlefield. Flag is a nonprofit battle tank working to change the cultural and media narrative about America. If you think it's time to stand up for America, join the Foundation for Liberty and American Greatness. Your support of Flag is an investment in the America your children will inherit. Visit their website at flagusa.org and consider donating. All donations are 100% tax deductible. That's flagusa.org. And welcome back to America Can We Talk? And as I mentioned before our break, we have a fabulous guest joining us tonight. She is on the phone with us. It's Catherine Hurston, and um, she is a senior policy fellow in uh, Minnesota at the Center of the American Experiment, uh, which is a fabulous think tank, uh, pretty similar to the Texas-based Texas Public Policy Foundation. In every state, our listeners in Arizona, Colorado, you have similar organizations this is a, a think tank, but Catherine Kirsten is a writer and an attorney, and she wrote an article in the fall 2017 edition of the magazine, the publication of her center called, the publication is called Thinking Minnesota, and the article was called Whose Values Educational Excellence Threatened by Ideology in the Edina, Minnesota Schools. Welcome, Catherine. Welcome to America Can We Talk. Thanks so much for calling in tonight. It's great to be with you. Okay, so Catherine, this article, uh, you and I have talked about before because I actually interviewed you about it on another radio show I do, Point of View Radio. But this article was so astonishing and, and alarming and informative, and it was really about what has happened in the Edina, Minnesota public schools over the last several years. And one way it was described was in your article as an ideological shift or a sea change in educational policy in the Edina, Minnesota schools, which were really great schools, I believe. So tell us what this article is all about. Yes, well, it's, it's important to understand that the Edina public schools were, were fabled schools in Minnesota for 
for decades. You know, sort of the, the star in the firmament of public education in Minnesota. Uh, and, and that, in part, is because uh, the, the top priority uh, has always been excellent education for all. But in the last few years, we've seen a, an ideologically driven social political agenda replace academic excellence as a priority. And one major thing that happened was in 2013, Edina school leaders adopted something called the All for All Strategic Plan. And this plan was intended, they said, to, uh, to eliminate the, the so-called racial learning gap. Uh, they thought the way to do that was to adopt a plan uh, that would require teachers to view, quote, all teaching and learning experiences through the, quote, lens of racial equity. And there were many changes required. One was the district was supposed to uh, henceforth hire racially conscious teachers and administrators. And of course, equity, everybody's in favor of equal treatment. That's not what these means at all, though. Well, so, you know, what I, I mean, I love that you're giving this introduction to it, but your and your article, um, which I mentioned a moment ago, it was in the uh, Thinking Minnesota publication, ran through a lot of examples, because what you said so far honestly sounds like, well, gee, maybe people are just trying to be more thoughtful about uh, exactly. performance exactly. by all students. But what was the practical, like, give us some examples of what the practical implementation was of this new ideological shift the Edina schools adopted in 2014. Yes, well, it's important to understand when they use equity, they don't mean equal treatment. They mean this as a mask for racial identity politics. And the fundamental notion there is that white institutional racism, the sort of invisible racism that, that just colors every white person from you know the, the ground up, uh, that that is the reason that minority groups face all the problems that, that they sometimes experience. So here are some examples of how the United Schools were going to attack that. At, at Highlands Elementary School, uh, kids in kindergarten uh, were required to uh, define themselves and their classmates in terms of skin color. So in a project called the Melanin Project, uh, what they do is trace their hands and they color their hands with their skin color and then they cut them out and paste them on a poster and put it up in the classroom. And that poster says, stop thinking your skin color is better than anyone else's. These five-year-olds are being told to look at themselves and their classmates first and foremost in terms of skin color. And the principal has actually taken that a, another step uh, this fall. She said that the Highlands challenge for the year is to teach kids, quote, how to embrace ancestry, genetic code, and melanin. Uh, and at the high school, uh, we, we see race-baked politics kind of being uh, the, the sort of wellspring of an ideological agenda that goes far beyond race, uh, to you know, race, class, and gender everywhere. And kids who have nonconforming views are routinely bullied and intimidated by teachers and, and really compelled to parrot teachers' political views to avoid public humiliation in class. First of all, I have to go back. Kindergartners are told uh, beyond that they're, they're told to identify themselves and fellow classmates by skin color are actually told 
you're no better than somebody else because of your skin color, assuming that a five-year-old would even think along those lines. Exactly, and I have a five-year-old uh, granddaughter uh, whose best friend lives next door and is a very different color. This does not cross their minds, and to bring this to their attention and tell them, this is, you got to do this. Look at people through the lens of their skin color. Is, is just it, it creates the conditions that these people say that they're trying to overcome. You know, I also noticed in your article, yes, that, you know, again, I want to be really clear. Everyone cares about, you know, ending, uh, uh, calling out racism, ending racism, having a, a society that's fair. But what this, yeah, what this curriculum does, Nidina, it, it has, a, you use the term racial identity. And I think in your, your um, article, Racial Identity Politics, it urges children at the youngest of ages to divide themselves into racial groups, and it, yep. it be, it's a precursor to embracing as an adult the racial identity politics that pervades left-wing America. That's exactly right. And, you know, it, it, this is the opposite of America's ideal of colorblindness. We've been trying, you know, after Martin Luther King Jr.'s uh, example, we've been trying for decades to judge people by the content of their character, not the color of their skin. This pushes kids in the opposite direction. And I think a major reason for this is, frankly, this is, this is kind of a quasi-religion. It, it's, it's almost attaining cult-like status among some educators. It's a very easy way to make yourself feel self-righteous and better than your benighted you know, uh, fellows and these foolish parents and these racist kids. It gives you this easy way to be better than everybody else because they're all institutional racists and you're not. You know, it, it's, it's just a, a very sad development in our culture. I want to give a few, we're going to go another segment after this. I want to, in this Again, to be sure our listeners are getting a picture of this. And I will tell our listeners, if you go to our website, americacanwetalk.org, there's a link to this study, uh, th- this article, and there'll be link- a couple of other articles that relate to this because you really should go- dive in and read the many examples. But while we have Catherine uh, and, and talking with you about this, uh, you mentioned that there's actually within the high school uh, just kind of a relentless drilling of white privilege in, in uh, discussion of that issue that pervades the academic curricula. I mean, it's it's it pervades your study of literature and your study oh, of history. Yeah. Is that is that accurate? Oh my gosh, yes. So there's a requ- kind of a cornerstone of this whole project uh, adopted back when you know the All for All plan was adopted in 2013. There's a required course all 10th graders have to take it. You know, as they enter high school. And it is literally all about, quote, race, racism, and white privilege. And it's, it's, the books are chosen uh, because they're contemporary political works that lend themselves to this, or they can be books that, that generally uh, are easy to view or twist, let's say, through the lens of, of race, class, and gender. It just saturates these, these poor students for a year. And one other thing I thought was just a, a great example to recognize the just just uh, per, uh, penetration of every aspect of the curricula was you mentioned that even that the concept of equity is a primary criterion in the district's evaluation for the K through five math yeah. curriculum. How do you even have equity in math? I mean, two plus two is always four. But so what does that mean? Well, I, I think of a couple things here. First of all, it means 
you know, looking at textbooks, trying to find a picture of, uh, you know, a, a black student in, a, in an unflattering light or something like that. You know, these, there aren't any textbooks like that, but it's just, it's a way to, uh, to, to, to constantly keep this before people's minds. Another way that you see it in a terribly destructive way uh, is that there's, there's this notion that all honors classes, all special ed classes, help sessions, they should all have exactly identical proportions of so-called black and brown kids that match their proportions in the general student population. So at one of these elementary schools, it appears that the principal has said, oh, you know, too many minority kids in that special help group. We're going we're gonna to deprive them of special help because they're the wrong color. So at one of these elementary schools, we've seen especially Hispanic math scores just plummet in one year uh, because these kids who are coming here and learning English as a second language are being deprived of the special help they need. Catherine Gadget, I'm yeah. going to get really close to a break. Hang on during the break, folks. You don't want to miss this story. We'll be right back. America faces unprecedented threats to our national security. The Center for Security Policy, based in Washington, D.C., is a national leader focused on the organization, management, and direction of public policy coalitions to promote U.S. national security. The Center is a special forces in the war of ideas, dedicated to identifying opportunities and challenges likely to affect American security, and acting promptly to ensure that they are the subject of focused national examination and effective action. The Center enlists support from executive branch officials, key legislators, and other public policy organizations and brings these teams together to develop and shape policies that will keep America safe. Check out centerforsecuritypolicy.org for the latest news and developments brought to you by America's leading security experts. Becoming and remaining informed is one of the best ways every citizen can be a part of the mission to keep America safe. That's centerforsecuritypolicy.org. Texans have a long tradition of independence, and we don't like being told what to do, especially by liberal bureaucrats 1,000 miles away. That's why for 30 years, the Dallas-based Institute for Policy Innovation has fought Washington's efforts to take more of your money and freedom. IPI works every day to keep taxes low and freedom high, to promote free market health care, expand energy security, protect intellectual property, and combat onerous regulations that destroy American jobs. Politicians often talk smaller government, but then vote for more of it. By contrast, IPI has never veered from its mission to defend the Constitution and fight for freedom. If you want to be informed about free market policies and solutions, go to IPI's website and sign up. All of their information is free for sharing. Help IPI restore liberty and economic growth. Go to IPI.org today. That's IPI.org. One more time, go to IPI.org today. Could you lose your career because of your faith? Could your pastor be sued because of his sermons? Can students and teachers be punished because of what they believe about God? Can the government or even your employer force you to violate your beliefs? Get the answers and, if necessary, legal protection from First Liberty Institute. First Liberty is the nation's largest legal organization dedicated exclusively to restoring religious freedom in America. In fact, First Liberty's nationwide network of top attorneys win over 90% of their cases. They've won at the Supreme Court all the way down to local schools. 
Visit FirstLiberty.org to learn more about how First Liberty is protecting religious freedom for all Americans in the workplace, public schools, your church, the military, and more. That's FirstLiberty.org. If you want hope for religious freedom and a free listing of your rights, go to FirstLiberty.org now. Attention Ronald Reagan fans. What is the one item most sought after by Americans who love the Gipper? It's Young America's Foundation's Reagan Ranch Calendar. Young America's Foundation is the leading youth outreach organization dedicated to ensuring that increasing numbers of young Americans understand and are inspired by the ideas of individual freedom, a strong national defense, free enterprise, and traditional values. New audiences of young people across the country are introduced to conservative ideas through Young America's Foundation's programs, including the Reagan Ranch Program. The Reagan Ranch calendar contains spectacular images of the Gipper enjoying his beautiful 688-acre ranch, the Western White House. For a limited time, the calendar is free. Even shipping is free. To receive your beautiful Reagan Ranch calendar from Young America's Foundation, call 800-USA-1776 and mention the phrase Reagan Gift. Again, the number is 1-800-USA-1776 and Reagan Gift is the code. Learn more about Young America's Foundation at www.yaf.org. That's yaf.org. And welcome back to America Can We Talk? And if you're just tuning in, we are speaking tonight with Catherine Kirsten, the author of a brilliant article. It is linked on our website, AmericaCanWeTalk.org. It is on our Facebook page, America Can We Talk. So important to understand the um, really racial agenda uh, that is now playing out uh, in the curriculum in the Edina Public Schools in Minnesota. So before the break, I'm sorry we had to cut short there, Catherine, but you were starting to talk about how the role of having equity as a goal versus which is being defined by these leftists who are doing this as a racial proportionality is causing some students who need more help not to receive it because it's perceived that too many kids of a certain color are in the group that needs special help. Can you just start that story again and, and give that example? Right. Yes, yes. Well, this is apparently what happened at one of our elementary schools with a new principal chosen uh, because she is, so, uh, quote, racially conscious under this all-for-all plan. But uh, the, the story is that she decided that, uh, as you say, uh, equity requires racial proportionality, uh, not looking at kids' individual needs, in kids as individuals, but as members of racial and ethnic groups. So uh, the, the idea is that she decided that there were too many of these kids uh, receiving special help in uh, math and reading at her school. And so she, uh, she, she arranged things so that it was much more difficult for them to get this special help. And as a result, their reading scores have just plunged, especially, as I said, um, uh, kids who are English language learners, uh, Hispanic children. And it's, it's just a, a desperate situation. And of course, with reading, if you can't read, uh, you can't even do math after, let's say, third or fourth grade, because you can't read the story problems and that kind of thing. So in the name of equity, individual children are apparently being harmed. It's just, and you'd think that, and we're going to get to the parents in a moment, but one other kind of quasi-political point on this, when you approach education from the perspective that says, we need kids who finish high school who can read, understand whatever the science requirements are, the mathematical requirements, the literature requirements. We want them capable of performing in normal academic arenas. When you change the priority from pursuing that 
to pursuing racial equity yeah. as it, it's it deprives the children of being prepared to go out into the world to get into college to test well on uh, to take good good scores on tests and to really function in the world absolutely it's a lifelong thing and you know if you can't read uh, by the age of third grade, your chances of being able to read at any point in your life uh, really plummet. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, what do they say? It, you, 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 until you're in third grade, you're learning to read, and after that, you're reading to learn. So these kids are at a vital point in their school careers with lifelong implications, and this, quote, racial equity is harming them. You know, and you, okay, so now I want to shift to the whole political aspect of all this. Oh, actually, one more thing. So you would think the parents watching the kids coming home with all sorts of, instead of a list of math problems or a reading assignment, they coming home with assignments and stories of the um, pro- projects they're doing at school that are so drenched in racial um, raciality and in, in race as the focus. Don't some of the parents feel upset about this? Yes, and, uh, you know, some parents... As the kids get older, especially they don't they don't talk about this, but many parents uh, have perceived this and they have been concerned. And the parents I've talked to generally say that they went to the administration, they went to the teacher, and uh, they were they were brushed off. You know, they were told. Uh, uh, I mean, in some cases, impl- it was an impl- implication that they themselves need a little racial fine-tuning. And others, oh, you know, we'll take care of that problem. That's a one-off kind of thing. Uh, but some parents have been resisting this for a number of years uh, without any, any real success. And, you know, the notion as a student, if you don't like this or you want to disagree with the um, perspective the teacher is bringing, I can imagine a student, you pretty much don't want to argue with your teacher about anything, but certainly if you want to challenge a, a, a oh. very tender topic, Students are going to feel shut down. Oh, not only that, um, they are. I've got a number of examples now of public shaming and humiliation uh, of students by teachers. And uh, uh, this is at a time in their lives when teenagers just want to fit in. Uh, and, but they, yep. are, they are learning that the, that the important way to get ahead in life is to basically um, – Please, the person in power, that is the teacher. And they have to look over their shoulders, you know, am I going to be accused of a microaggression or, a, you know, an inappropriate uh, political remark? And it's exactly the opposite of what we need in a democratic society. It's simply astonishing. And this is, you did such a great job featuring and focusing on the Adina schools because we don't have time to go into this tonight because I want to give Catherine an opportunity to tell you the latest on this, but... If you read this article, you'll see that the performance by students in this Edina school district, which was previously just a stellar example of public education, performance test scores have dropped, especially compared with other school districts in the same area that did not embrace this race-based um, academic approach to everything. And even in schools where there is a larger um, population of students of color, students who have a Spanish language background, those students are doing better in schools that did not embrace this style of, of it, I mean, honestly, my word has been in my head, propaganda. It's, it's like propaganda instead of education. But I'm going to turn, you were telling me right before we came on the air tonight that there was actually um, a, a new development in this case where you had uncovered the motive behind this uh, one particular teacher or principal, whoever she is, 
about why this whole program was brought to the Adina schools. Love to have you tell us about that. Yes, well, um, the, you know, many school districts are doing something like this. Many districts employ uh, so-called uh, racial equity consultants. And here in Minnesota, we, uh, we have been inflicted with a group called uh, PEG, or the Pacific Educational Group. This is a group that, that does have a strong presence nationwide, particularly here, though. It's a California-based uh, group. They were brought into the Edina schools in 2009 and uh, had a very strong influence. And over several years, uh, they became, their influence really uh, flowered, especially at the high school. And that's what you're talking about here. What I published yesterday was a kind of expose of, of an essay written by an Edina High School English teacher in a book, a pretty obscure book, obviously, that's published by the Pacific Educational Group. In that book, she laid out the whole story of how she and her fellow English teachers brought this ideology to Edina High School, you know, this, this stellar academic performing school. And what, what comes out of that is that parents were just never told that the purpose of this new required English course in 10th grade, again, the foundational course for an entire year, was saturating kids with this racial identity politics on every level. But what was told to the parents in this announcement was, oh, this is a wonderful course that will be a common experience for kids starting high, et cetera, et cetera, all this you know, good-sounding stuff. And as you, you, talk, you use the word propaganda, it, it absolutely was because it was a hidden agenda that was being used to manipulate students and parents, which has no place in public education. So, you know, first of all, I'm so glad you uncovered that. And now that parents do know this, I mean, it really is a hard question for parents. I mean, obviously one answer is you could move out of Edina, you could put your kids in private school, you could homeschool. But honestly, what you need to do is get a school district, a school board, to take charge and remove this this propaganda. I mean, what, what what do you think they should do? What should the parents do, Edina? Well, parents parents need to be. Um, they just need to monitor. They need to investigate. They need to be aware of what is happening in their children's classrooms. And this can be difficult to do. And let me give you an example. In the announcement for this new English. Uh, Required English 10 pre-AP course, it was called. Um, they say that uh, the kids will be going to Fort Snelling. And up here, Fort Snelling is a fort built here in 1823 or so. It's on the river. It's, it's, a, it's just a, a perfect place for school children to go and, you know, talk about the westward expansion. All. Well, what do they say uh, is, is going to be done in that visit uh, or studying that subject? It says... Uh, Fort Snelling as concentration camp and Dakota Indian genocide, uh, because oh. in 1860, you know, there was a, an Indian sort of trial there, et cetera. I mean, that's what they're going to focus on. So if you, as a parent, you're, oh, the kids are going to Fort Snelling, great. You just don't know what they're going to tell them uh, when they get out there, when they read about it. You know, I will, we only have, I guess, a couple of minutes left here, but you know, I do think this story is, it's about Edina, Minnesota, but honestly, it's about America. This story that you're hearing from Catherine Kirsten tonight, which is, um, you know, about one particular school district in Minnesota, 
but the whole concept of changing our societal focus and our description of ourselves, our identity as a nation from a, the notion of identity of America as a country uniquely founded on individual liberty, on a notion that we have rights from God that come from our, you know, that, that the country, the government exists to protect. This whole shifting away from the unique liberty-based culture of America into racial identity politics America, it really it is shaping these young people these from kindergarten through high school to think of America as just an inherently divided place. And, and a place in which uh, people of color just endlessly must fight for their rights because otherwise their fellow citizens don't care about them. It has, the mo- to me, the most insidious and, and just just a sinister, insidious, evil point, purpose, which is, again, you end up supporting identity politics and the American left's view of America. And these students think that's what America is. So, I, you know, Catherine, I think we have one minute here. I want to give you the last shot to tell about uh, anything else about Edina and about your work of the center of the American experiment. Well, I couldn't agree with you more. This is this is insidious and very dangerous. It is happening all over the country in one form or another. And if we lose just one generation in the promulgation of the the great idea of America as this noble experiment in democracy, we've lost our democracy. Kids do not understand how unique we are and how precious and rare freedom is. So I, you were very eloquent in describing the stakes here. Okay, and you, you tell them that your website, if you wouldn't want to share that. Yeah, org, And we, we deal with a whole range of very important uh, policy and cultural issues, so love to have people visit. Catherine Kirsten, you're a great writer. I love talking with you. Thank you for your hard work. And we will come back after the break. I don't know, even say more about this. But Catherine, thank you so much. Thank you, Debbie. Folks, we'll talk more about this after the break. This is so important to understand. Come right back. 